Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A momentous day has come. I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but here it is. Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Stu does America. I can't take it. Too much good news. I don't know what to do with myself. BlazeTV.com slash stew is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV, a place we've been fighting for life and its causes uh, so long. I can't even I can't even calculate it. I've, the whole time we've been in existence, it's been one of the main things we've talked about. And you've joined us on this journey for such a long time. We really appreciate it. You can join with the promo code stew if you want to save 10 bucks. Uh, we've got some great interviews for you today. Uh, Probably the two I want to do more than, than any other, other than maybe like Samuel Alito. He would have been great to have on today. Couldn't get him. Sorry about that. But Josh Hammer is here. He's going to break down the entire legal part of the decision and give us the, the constitutional background. And Representative Becky Curry, she's back to the show. We said, hey, uh, you wrote the bill that led to this going to the Supreme Court of Mississippi. Going all the way to the Supreme Court. You wrote the actual text. Come back on with us if it gets overturned, will you? Guess what? She's back on with us today. I can't wait to talk to her. This is going to be a great show and a great freaking day because we get it all started by doing the end of Roe versus Wade. I can't even believe this is happening. I really can't. It's, it's, it's a fascinating day. And it's honestly a little bit overwhelming. It broke today in the middle of the radio show, as all these decisions do. We were in the middle of some other nonsensical thing that we had to deal with. And uh, just honestly, I, it was it was it hit me really hard. I I didn't know what I didn't know how it was going to happen. I mean, I, we knew that this draft opinion was out there. We expected that this would happen. But when it actually did, it really did knock me off my feet a little bit. I've told you many times before. Morally, I could justify coming in here every day and just talking about abortion. Uh, it would be a terrible show, an awful show. It would get the worst ratings in the world. Everyone would be sick of it almost immediately. But it would be morally justified because it is such an important issue. Over 65 million children should have been born, should be alive today, but aren't because of this terrible decision made with no legal basis 50 years ago. Over the world, by the way, we're talking about a billion people billion people we've lost to this. It's, it's inhuman. And much of the world is going in the opposite direction and opening up laws. Now, we've talked about this before. America has, ha- has laws that are much more liberal up until today than most of Europe. I mean, you know, the, the average country in Europe has more conservative abortion laws than did Utah up until today. And that is all changing now, thanks to the Supreme Court. Of course, thanks should go to people like President Trump, who named three conservative justices uh, to the Supreme Court who all voted the correct way today. Incredibly important. 
Mitch McConnell gets a lot of bashing from our audience. He's a Republican, but uh, not always everybody's favorite Republican. He was, you know, held the line with with Merrick Garland, though I don't think he would have been approved anyway. I think somewhat at some level it gets a little bit overblown, but that's part of it as well. Harry Reid. Uh, I like to make fun of him for this, but you know, he's the guy who made it only 50 votes for a Supreme Court justice and probably contributed to this process as well. But all that being said, it's an incredibly important day. It's step one on a long, long journey, I think, to to change the way people think about this. People will still be able to get abortions here in this country. People will be getting mailed p- pills mailed to them uh, from India for the next, uh, you know, many, many years to come, I'm sure. But hopefully in the long term, we can see this for what it is, a, r- a real evil, a real, a real failing of our country. Uh, a sad, sad chapter that is up there with things like slavery. It really is. In fact, you're talking about tens of millions of people that should be alive that aren't. It's hard to compare that to really anything. Um, you're, you're approaching the global toll of, uh, I mean, the global toll of co- communism is even less than this, <laughs> which is, they've got, I mean, we're, they're in the nine figures, so it's a pretty high number. Let me give you some of the ruling. I'm not going to spend all, tons and tons of time of going through the, the, uh, the specifics today. We will be on radio next week doing a lot of that, and we'll be here as well. And Josh Hammer is about to go through a bunch of it with you as well. But let me give you some of it. Here is the ruling. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful ruling. I, it's the greatest ruling. It's, it's the most spectacular ruling you'll ever see in your life. Here is a, a couple of excerpts I wanted to, to kind of uh, highlight here. And... Um, First of all, I want to talk about the failing of the idea of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was was this bizarre thing. It was basically legislation. It was the court saying, you know, a lot of people disagree on this and we're not sure exactly what to do. So what if we carve out our own idea of what will make everybody happy? And we know, obviously, by now that that did not work. And Alito pointed that out. Neither decision, meaning Roe and Casey, has ended debate over the issue of a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Indeed, this in this case, 26 states expressly ask us to overrule Roe and Casey and to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. This court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling the people to move on. Yeah, it's exactly right. There was never hope for a solution like this. And in fact, it's made it worse. You know, some people argue on the left, we don't like Roe versus Wade. One of the reasons was because a third of the states were moving towards liberalizing their abortion laws. And then we cut off that process. It's actually talked about by Alito in the ruling as well. In some ways, you could have argued that doing it by legislation, it may have actually happened. I would have fought against it. You probably would have fought against it, but it may have happened another way. Artificially pushing it through the courts is not the way to do these things. We do not pretend this is really important, by the way, and I want this is maybe the most important paragraph in this entire thing, because, yes, abortion uh, and Roe versus Wade being overturned. Abortion can be sent back to the states. All that's vitally important. But just from the function of the court itself, this paragraph is crucial. We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe Roe and Casey. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. Amen. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law 
apply longstanding principles of stare decisis and decide this case accordingly. The Supreme Court's job is not to decide whether a law or a rule or a constitutional principle will make everybody happy or not, whether people will protest it or not, whether it will be a good thing or not. That was a, a lot of the focus we talked about yesterday in the Second Amendment case. Breyer made this big show of all these terrible gun crimes that have happened and all these gun statistics. And Alito just lit him up and said, hey, what does this have to do with anything? It's not our job to sit here and, to, and talk about the effects on the country. It is our job to say what the law says, what the Constitution says, what is allowed, what is, uh, what is constrained by our role in this process. We have a system of government and it's important to stick by it. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Thank God I can read that sentence. Roe and Casey must be overruled and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. Now, the correct way to look at this ruling is not that it's some extremist decision for the pro-life cause. It has essentially moved this entire issue back to the middle ground where people can decide, it's like you know, gambling, right? States can decide what they want to do with it. That is not the way I think this should end. I don't think it should be allowed. You should not be allowed to end children's lives. That I feel like we should be able to unite on and we're not there yet, but I, I do really believe that we will be one day. This is just the first step in that process and I hope we get there sooner rather than later. This is a great day for conservatism, for the Constitution, for all the people who fought and stood outside of abortion clinics for hours and hours and hours. And, and, and many of those hours must have been hopeless. But we show today that hope is alive and hopefully many millions of children will follow. And I cannot think of a better moment to tell you about First Liberty. Right now, they are already saying it. After seeing the decisions the last couple of days, they are already talking about packing the court. They know that on the left, not, not First Liberty, they're not talking about it. Uh, for the left is talking about packing the court. They didn't get the decisions they want. They wanted these decisions and they didn't get them. And you know what happens when the left wants something and they can't get it? They break the rules to try to get it. They change the rules to try to get it. And while it is legally allowed for them to pack the court, which is something we should address, it's obviously against all of our history and our traditions, at least recently. Regardless, it should not happen. And that's why we need you to join with First Liberty Institute. First Liberty Institute, by the way, has personally argued two of the big cases for religious liberty in front of the courts now. They won one of them already. Another one, I hope, is coming uh, next week. Uh, we talked to Coach Kennedy about that. They are central and they fight for religious liberty. These guys have been busting their butts every single day to make sure that your religious liberty is, per, is protected. And uh, they've been fighting for life for a very long time as well. They're gathering a coalition of a million patriots to say no to court packing, no to the liberal agenda, no to the Supreme Court coup. That's what court packing is. It is a coup. Go to supremecoup.com. C-O-U-P is how you spell coup. 
in case you didn't know. SupremeCoup.com, sign First Liberty's letter. Support these guys. They are doing amazing things protecting your rights. It's SupremeCoup.com. I'm happy to welcome back Josh Hammer on the program on a very, very big day. He's the opinion editor for Newsweek, as well as host of The Josh Hammer Show. To be sure to check that out and subscribe as well. Josh, how's it going? Stu, what a day. Uh, there's really no other words to describe it. I mean, it's, it's honestly a day that I was not sure would ever come. So it's just a remarkable day to be alive. It's a remarkable day to be on your program, obviously. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I will say I was sure that it would never come. <laughs> that was my position on the matter. I never thought I'd see this day. Uh, I just didn't think it would happen. It didn't feel like it was going to happen. Obviously, a lot of things had to, to come into place for this to actually occur. And I start this interview with, with the same thing I started an interview with yesterday, which is pretty rare for me. I think this is a great day for the Constitution, isn't it? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, holding aside the profound moral questions, obviously, that are implicated in the issue of abortion and the fact that, um, you know, the end goal obviously needs to be an abortion-free America, the same way that the end goal for antebellum abolitionists was a slave-free America— the Roe versus Wade is a constitutional atrocity. I mean, it, it was one of the worst decisions in the history of the United States Supreme Court. And the fact that it is joining the ash heap of history along with some of the other worst decisions ever, cases like Dred Scott, 1857, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, the Korematsu case, 1944. The fact that Roe it's, it really feels surreal, honestly. I mean, like, I'm really saying this. Roe versus Wade has joined those decisions. So, you know, I'm a lawyer by background, too, as you know. When I was clerking on the Fifth Circuit and when I was practicing, lawyers have tools called Westlaw and LexisNexis where you get to like look up cases. And in the Westlaw system, there's usually a yellow flag next to a case where the Supreme Court has casted doubt upon the precedent. And there's actually a red flag next to a case where the Supreme Court has actually formally overturned the precedent. So a, a, federal, a federal judge who I will not name texted me today an image of the Westlaw image of Roe versus Wade with that red flag. And it, 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 you know, for like a lot of nerdy lawyers out there like myself, it's just like, wow. I mean, we really have gotten to this moment. It's an incredible achievement. Yeah, really, you know, going through the, the, the opinion, reading it and reading those words that Roe versus Roe and Casey had both been overturned. It was just, uh, it was shocking. I, I honestly, even knowing that this case, obviously the, the opinion had been leaked, the draft opinion, we kind of knew, at least we sort of hoped that it would stay this way uh, from, the, from the draft um, uh, opinion. And to see Alito and then to see it's Dobbs and see Alito wrote it and then to read those words, it really hit me uh, today in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting. I mean, I, I, it wasn't exactly happiness. It was it was almost just like relief. Uh, millions and millions of people should be alive today and are not. And to see that we've taken this one giant step to turn this around, it, it's just a glorious day. Yeah, it, you know, it really is. I mean, for the past month and a half, Stu, we've been in uncharted waters. And I say that obviously as a reference to when the leaked Justice Alito written majority opinion got out to Politico on May 3rd, about a month and a half, almost two months ago now. That has never happened before. So we have been in uncharted waters since then with all the protests, the crass intimidation tactics. I mean, the fire bombings of pro-life pregnancy centers going up until obviously a, a, a 
thank God, aborted ultimately, but an attempted assassination attempt against a sitting Supreme Court justice. So the past month and a half has just been like a total like mind blow. I mean, again, this situation has just simply never happened before. So I think many pro-lifers, many constitutionalists like myself and like yourself have just been praying, honestly, that the justices, especially those five justices, including Alito, who joined that opinion in the leaked opinion, that they would have the fortitude, that they would have the courage to stiffen their spines and actually stand up and stand for the integrity of the court, the integrity of the Constitution, and, and the integrity of unborn human beings across the country. And, and they have done that. So mm. the, pr- the prayers have been delivered. It, it really is just remarkable. Really is amazing. Um, so you've gone through it. I, I, I went through a, a good chunk of it. It seemed pretty similar to the draft. A lot of the lines I remember reading in the original draft, there seemed to be some additional uh, parts where you know, taking shot at the shots at the dissent and stuff, which was very enjoyable for me. Uh, but generally speaking, it was it the same. How similar was it to the draft? Very similar. So uh, someone who I follow on Twitter tweeted out earlier a red line, which is kind of like a line by line comparison of mm. uh, of of this opinion with the leaked opinion. I haven't had a chance to go through the fine tooth comb yet, the, the red line. But what you said is basically right. I mean, some lines have been tweaked. Some lines have been added. Doctrinally speaking, as a constitutional matter, this is extremely similar to what happened a month and a half ago, uh, even kind of down to the page length with all the appendices. The whole thing is basically very similar. And it's the constitutional grounds basically is that even kind of accepting the court's so-called substantive due process precedents under the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, the abortion right that the court purported to concoct in Roe versus Wade and that it affirmed 19 years later in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, that abortion right does not even meet the court's own precedents in the area of substantive due process because it is not, obviously, it's not as your viewers so obviously know, it is not rooted in our nation's customs, traditions, and history, which is the kind of the modern substantive due process text from a 1997 case called Washington versus Glucksburg. That was the basic legal analysis, pretty straightforward from the uh, leaked opinion. That is that remains the straightforward legal analysis today. Justice Thomas is a very interesting concurrence. Uh, it's the first time we're seeing this. This concurrence was not leaked. Kavanaugh has a concurrence as well, which I find a little vexing and annoying, to be honest with you. But those concurrences were not leaked. But the majority opinion from Alito looks very similar to what the leaked opinion looked like a month and a half ago. Yeah, Thomas wanted to go a little bit further. He, he, he this is kind of the main talking point of the left coming out of this now that this uh, Roe versus Wade. Is- is history, they are trying to latch onto this idea that now Thomas wants to overturn a bunch of other cases that they find important. And, you know, to my understanding here, first of all, it, it seems as if Thomas has one vote and only Thomas, first of all, even though he's seemingly right on the legal merits of this. Can you kind of break this down? What does this mean? Is there any is there any chance that this stuff would actually happen? So the short answer is probably not, right? Because this is a one justice concurrence, not even Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch, by the way, is the closest justice on the current court to Justice Thomas's views on the question of stare decisis, on the question of precedent. There have been a couple of examples of that. In 2019, there was an establishment clause case, a First Amendment case called the, the Bladensburg Cross case out of Maryland. Long story short, in that case, Justice Thomas went kind of like full first principle stare decisis in a separate concurring opinion. Gorsuch was the only justice to join him then. So the fact that even Gorsuch did not join Thomas today, I think, indicates that Justice Thomas is going a little bit out on his own right now. I happen to personally agree with him. I mean, I have written a lot about stare decisis. I think Justice Thomas is exactly right on the question of stare decisis. But none of this is going to happen anytime soon. I mean, Justices Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett, they subscribe to a 
more mainstream, I guess, for lack of a better term, a more moderate, we might say, position on stare decisis, where it's kind of a multi-factor balancing test, where you kind of get into the reliance interest at stake. So kind of just taking that one particular stare decisis factor, reliance interest, there's really no cognizable reliance interest that is at stake in the Roe versus Wade question because women who have had their abortions have had their abortions. They're no longer relying on the current, the future state of, of abortion law. They've had their abortions. So when you get to the question of, um, uh, you know, let's take same-sex marriage, Obergefell versus Hodges, the 2015 case. If you take this multi-factor started slices test seriously, then the reliance interest factor is a little more complicated because mm. there obviously are gay couples now who are married. They had benefits through that. So uh, from a Kavanaugh-Barrett stare decisis perspective, I don't expect them to sign on to anything like that anytime soon. But this is this really just Clarence Thomas being who Clarence Thomas is. I mean, he is a man of principle, first and foremost, to his bones, and that is who he is. So let's look at a, a, the other side of that uh, case here, We're not talking about principle, and talk about John Roberts for a second here. Can you explain what he, what happened here? Because I initially look at this and it looked like it was a 6-3 decision, but was it a 5-3-1 decision? Did Roberts actually join the, the majority opinion here? It's a it's a five three one. I mean, I think that's how I would report it. I mean, he did, he did, he formally speaking does not join the Alito opinion. He only concurs in the judgment. So you know, in, in legalese, concurring in the judgment just means that the majority reaches the correct outcome, but for different legal reasons. So right. So this has been John Roberts's project since day one. Really going back to December first of last year. Uh, when oral argument in the Dobbs case was held, I and mean, even then, if you kind of listen to the questions that the justices were asking at oral argument, it really did seem that Chief Justice John Roberts was searching for some sort of middle ground measure, right? The problem, as many people have noted, perhaps none more persuasively than my friend Sharif Gurgis, who's a law professor at Notre Dame Law School, he has just written amazing content on this over the past few months. The, the, he has written, others have shown that there there is no middle ground, that the Mississippi statute here, this 15-week, fairly straightforward abortion ban, simply cannot be reconciled with the court's own words in, in Roe and Casey. So you had to pick one or pick the other. Roberts is, to the end, literally to the end, I mean, till today, is trying to carve out this middle ground that simply does not exist. I have to say, Stu, I'm a little surprised, to be honest with you, that the Chief Justice did not actually join Alito's opinion after it after it would have become obvious to him that he could not persuade Barrett or Kavanaugh, because from his perspective, as someone who cares first and foremost, allegedly at least about the court's institutional legitimacy, I would think that he would prefer a clean 6-3 overrule so you don't get like a dreaded 5-4, 5-3-1, whatever. So I'm a little perplexed that he did that, to be honest with you. But those, you know, those Georgetown cocktail parties are also very enticing. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard they're great. I've never been invited to one, but I've heard <laughs> they're fantastic. Uh, can, you, can you give me a couple of minutes on one other thing that the left is pointing out? Uh, Biden made this big speech today. He talked about the Clarence Thomas part of it, where uh, they're going to overturn gay marriage and all these things that I don't think are actually going to happen. Another thing they're warning about on the left is this idea that a person in Texas would not be able to go to California to get their abortion because the we're going to apparently Texas is going to try to and all these other red states are going to try to stop the women from crossing state lines to get their abortion. First of all, do we have any evidence that that states are actually attempting to do this? And secondly, would that hold up in the courts? The answer is no on both questions. Uh, so the right to interstate travel is a foundational right that goes back uh, well over a century. I mean, it is right. It is actually part of Article Four. It's not even one of the amendments. It is right there in Article Four. You have there's the privileges and immunities clause, the comedy clause. I mean, your right to freely interstate travel is actually. 
This was actually hotly debated at the Constitutional Convention. I mean, it, you, we, we can literally go back to Philadelphia, 1787, to kind of derive the the right to interstate travel. This this was it was literally a source of debate at that very convention, and it it, it is there. It is unambiguously there. The court has affirmed this time and time again. So you, you know, I mean, I, you're in Texas too. I mean, put another way, I mean, Texas could not. Put its national guard on like the Texas-New Mexico border, for instance, and prevent Texans from traveling to New Mexico. That would be unconstitutional. They simply could not do it. But there's also just no evidence this is happening whatsoever. This is this is just you know, I mean, this is like Twilight Zone stuff. I mean, the left is just they'll throw mud at the wall. They're going to see what sticks. They're they're whipping out a lot of talking points that are just totally fabricated. This is this is totally bogus. Uh, last one for you here. Um, the the conservative legal project, right? This idea that you know originalism. And textualism and all these things that we've heard about all these years. I know at times you've been critical of it. We found, uh, you know, that, that maybe it doesn't go far enough. We've seen bad results at times. It hasn't been, a, you know, this glorious, uh, you know, uh, road to the Constitution at all times. What do we take make from this? I mean, is this a real success? Is it still need to be reformed in a major way? Where, where do you see this going in the future? Great question. I think this is a question that I think many of my lawyer friends, former law clerks, people who think about this stuff, we're thinking about this a lot right now. I think you're probably going to see a lot of commentary on this very subject over the next few weeks, over the next few months. So credit where credit is due. I mean, this is by far the crowning achievement of the modern conservative legal movement, of the modern conservative legal project of the Federal Society as an organization that I am a speaker who for, and for whom I've been a member since I was a first year in law school. I'm literally a car carry member. So the Federal Society deserves a lot of credit. And originalism deserves a lot of credit. And frankly, President Trump deserves a ton of credit mm-hmm. because obviously without his three nominated justices, this day simply never would have it never would have arrived. And I think for a lot of people in 2016, like myself, who were skeptical of voting for President Trump on judges' grounds, we have a little bit of egg in our face and we should be willing, you know, we should be, we should be man enough to basically say like, my bad, mea culpa. Those of you who, who who actually voted for Trump for judges are totally beyond a shadow of a doubt vindicated right now, I think. It's not even a close call. But for the future of the movement, I, 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 I basically stick with what I have written over the past few years. I've been trying to develop an alternative, not really an alternative, a, a slightly modified, I would say, version of constitutional interpretation that I call common good originalism, which is originalist. It's just originalism with a bit of a twist, I might say. It, does, it, it doesn't go nearly as far, for example, as Professor Adrian Vermeule of Harvard, who would kind of ditch originalism in favor of a, uh, a, of a more right-wing uh, living constitutionalist vision, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So I stick with what I've written in that. The one thing that I will add to, and this is this is very interesting. So the court say obviously pronounces that the Constitution is silent on the issue of abortion. The 14th Amendment has no abortion right. Therefore, under the 10th Amendment, it is an issue for the states. Justice Kavanaugh reiterates in his concurring opinion that I find a little obnoxious, to be honest with you. He, he reiterates that this, is, that this is a state issue. What I will say, and this is perhaps a little self-aggrandizing, but I'm going to say it nonetheless, is that I do think that the work of some of us, like myself, John Finnis, Robbie George, my friend Josh Craddock, who have taken a further position that the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause actually bans abortion, I think has had the effect of making this more middle ground view look moderate by comparison. So I think that view is where we're going, but for now it it has at least served its purpose, I think, as an Overton window shifting measure. Mm, Interesting, very interesting stuff. And uh, Josh, I know you're on top of this stuff all the time. I really appreciate you taking the time on a a big day, man. This is a big day and and, uh, there's, I think, a long road ahead of us as far as life issues go. There's still a lot of work to be done, but man, uh, this is a huge first step. I can't believe we're seeing it. I, I I honestly can't even believe it, Josh. 
Uh, me too. Look, I mean, when I first learned about the Supreme Court, the Constitution, when I was like in high school, I mean, it didn't take law school training. It didn't even really take college training to recognize how in the heck can nine lawyers in rows purport to dictate this morally charged issue for the whole country, right? Yeah. Uh, let alone to do so in a way that is so profoundly immoral. So, I mean, uh, it's been a long time coming. Really, a debt of gratitude, obviously, to the past half century of pro-life activists who have kept this issue on the forefront because in an alternative universe, it could have just trickled away and we would have just had the Roe regime for perpetuity. So God bless and God bless the justices for doing what needs to be done. Josh Hammer, opinion editor of, uh, for Newsweek and host of The Josh Hammer Show. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the program. I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. First of all, major COVID violation there. You can't just put, uh, you're yelling into a little uh, microphone like that and then putting it up to somebody else's face. Where are the masks? Uh, AOC very upset, of course, saying the court is illegitimate. It's amazing how illegitimate these institutions become when they do something that you don't like. I wonder how that works. It's weird. I'm waiting for the, the, uh, the insurrection of, of the Supreme Court to start at any moment. I am worried about what's going to happen after this. Uh, look, it's going to be really hard to do the sort of damage you'd need to do in a bunch of riots to equal 65 million dead children. So I don't know that they can do all that much uh, in comparison. I think whatever they do tonight will probably be less than that. But I will say uh, it's something to be really worried about. We've talked about Jane's revenge. I encourage you now more than ever to go back and listen to or watch the show. And we did, Stu does Jane's Revenge, where we go through what they're planning here for the future. Uh, tonight could be really rocky and really ugly, and it's hard to ignore those possibilities. Uh, this claim that the Supreme Court is illegitimate is just ridiculous, though. I mean, the Supreme Court, it gets a, there's an, they're appointed by the president who was elected. And I know you didn't like that election, but it happened. You know, just like we didn't like this one, but it happened. And Katanji Brown Jackson is gonna be soon pissing us all off in the months to come. Uh, uh, Pelosi was out there as well. And she uh, drunkenly, uh, in my opinion, uh, blurted out a bunch of words. Most of them didn't seem like English, but when she was getting close to a point, you get the central argument from Democrats, which is when you have a problem, there's only one solution to it. Vote for Democrats. In the Congress, be aware of this, the Republicans are plotting a nationwide abortion ban. Not plotting, I'm telling you. They cannot you. be allowed to have a majority in the Congress to do that, but that's their goal. And if you read, and again, we're all studying all this, but if you read what is in the very clear, one of the justices had his own statement. How many? One? It's about mm -hmm. contraception, in vitro fertilization, family planning. That is all what will spring from their decision that they made that's, that's today. Just, I mean, look, Clarence Thomas has one vote for these things. He's not even talking about getting rid of them. He's just the legal decision is the problem. Um, 
this is a very common thing. They're going to try to scare you that all these the new one is like, oh, they're going to they're going to ban period tracking apps. The hell are you talking about? <laughs> this is just, some of this is just freaking bizarre. Oh, uh, guns now have more rights than women. Now, here's the, the fundamental problem with all your bad tweets. Right. Here's the thing you don't understand when you're on the left. The thing you really want to be a constitutional right, abortion, is not one. And the thing you really don't want to be a constitutional right, gun ownership, is one. That's why you continually embarrass yourself. That one little thing, that dichotomy, you got to master it before you get near the Twitters. If you happen to be in a red state and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to get my weekly abortion? And now you're thinking maybe I might need to move to a blue state because in blue states, I'll be able to get them. My understanding is it's buy one, get one now. You, you go, you just show up in California, you, you get your abortion, they'll give you a, a ticket or a hand stamp and you can come in at any point in the next week and get another one. It's going to be fantastic, but you might need to buy a home while you're there. And if you do, you'll need a real estate agent you can trust. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com to find that person who can lead you through. I don't know. Maybe the people at realestateagentsitrust.com will be like, well, this is the best state for you to get your buy one, get one abortion. My guess is they might not be all that friendly to that. You know what? They will help you no matter who you are. They're equal opportunity helpers at realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there today. They'll give you uh, the whole lowdown on the best things, um, practices to do in your uh, area and help you find the best home in your area as well. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm so happy to welcome Mississippi State Representative Becky Curry back on the program. She's the author of a pivotal 2018 abortion bill in her state. And you may have heard a little news update about that particular bill today in the news. Representative, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm very excited today. Yeah, it's a huge day. First of all, just what is your reaction? What are you feeling today? You know, I've been trying to prepare for this, especially since the leak. And, you know, it's still just been an overwhelming day and I'm very happy and I look forward to the future. And, uh, you you know, it's just um, surreal. Mm. Take us back to 2018. You authored this bill that made its way up to the Supreme Court and wound up uh, in the case that overturned Roe versus Wade, as we saw today. Take us back to your thought process as you put it together. Well, um, I'm a registered nurse, and I've been practicing medicine since 1979. And about 1983, I was working in labor and delivery and delivered about a 15-week fetus little girl that struggled to live. And heartbeat for a long, long time. Uh, I sat with her, prayed with her, you know, and it was it just something that stuck with me for a long time. In 2016, we wrote a 19-week bill. And when we decided to take on another bill, I said, I want to do a 15-week bill. Um, you know, a little pay a little homage to this baby that has kind of stuck with me over the years. And we did this bill, and it passed, was signed by the governor. Um, it immediately was struck down by the courts and went about life. And you know, a couple of years later, I hear it's going before the biggest Supreme Court law of the land. And, and uh, 
you know, it's just been a whirlwind ever since. Did you have any hopes and aspirations that something like this could actually come from the bill when you put it together? Well, I knew that that bill was anointed. I have to be honest with you. It was just something that I felt to my core. I knew it was a good bill. Uh, We did several bills even after this bill. Um, And I always said I, I hated to do them because I knew that this if there was a bill that ever would go all the way, it was going to be this bill. And uh, so uh, I have I have felt this way that it was going to pass. I, I know it may sound strange, but I always felt deep down it was going to the court. And this day was coming. Mm. Um, don't ask me how. <laughs> it's really incredible. I think so many people see, I mean, you're seeing all you know the protests and everything. And one of the big pieces of rhetoric that constantly flies out of these things is that I don't want all these men telling me what I can do with my body and 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 restricting my rights and it's I think people would be surprised to know that not only is this bill written by a woman but a woman who was inspired to write it by the birth of a little girl and uh who was a single mother most of my life uh, you know, I know how hard it is to raise children by yourself. I know how it can, uh, you know, be extraordinarily financially taxing and, uh, you know, fi- not just financially, just mentally. It's exhausting. I know all those things. There's nobody that, that knows that better. But I never saw it as a, as a good enough reason to to kill a child. And I have to tell you, you know, it hurts my heart to see people so angry about, you know, not being able to kill a baby. And we just want things so convenient that if you're pregnant, that you would just end a pregnancy uh, just so simply and, and, and just angry about, you know, not taking the responsibility of raising a child. I think is one of the most perplexing parts of this, because as you point out, I mean, some of these stories that individual women have gone through, you can understand how uh, things can be very tough and challenging through situations like this. But the the unabated passion that I see from so many on the left who who seem to to have the the opportunity to end a child's life be their reason for being this incredible uh, guttural desire to have this right to make sure that children aren't born is such a it's something I don't think I can ever understand. Do you have any any way to put this together? Well, it doesn't compute with me either, and it never did. And just the fact that we, you know, have allowed these folks to to do this for 50 years, you know, there was no constitutional right. And, you know, we had a president who was able to put three Supreme Court justices on the court and who uh, at the time uh, this bill was there. You know, I believe that this bill was in God's hands since the very beginning. And he put this all together because there's no real explanation of how this literally came to be with all the pieces that that fell into place correctly. So what happens, uh, Representative, with Mississippi now? Does do I mean, I, I know there's a bunch of states that have trigger laws. Do you guys have that? It, it, will it go to the 15-week rule right away? How does all of this work? We actually have a trigger bill. that ca- I came into office in 2008, 
And 2007, there was a trigger law that said if Roe v. Wade was ever overturned, that abortion will be illegal in the state immediately. So, you know, now I think my job as a woman who, as a woman who uh, was a single mother and, you know, had a child that I raised by myself, uh, I think it's my responsibility now. Um, I'm in my last year of this term. I'm going to run for re-election because we've got to do things better in Mississippi. We've got to make sure that people have places to go for health care. We can't say to women, okay, we took this right away from you. Good luck. We've got to be there to support them. And, and not just government. Our churches have got to step up to the plate. We've got to be there for women. So I feel like my job just really started. We've got to make sure that our, our county health departments are open, that people have access to birth control, that we uh, take care of pregnant women and children. Our foster care system is a mess. Our uh, child services are a mess. Our collecting child support from deadbeat dads is a mess. So believe me when I tell you I have my job cut out for me here. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of work to do. That's something I've come back right. to several times thinking about this. Is There's been this focus on the legal process for such a long time of Roe versus Wade and, and overturning that in Casey. And in reality, like, as we kind of all know, the other states are going to make it very easy for women to have abortion, to travel there, to, 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 for this to occur. And it strikes me as the real long-term project here is one of, of trying to win people over and changing people's hearts and minds. Eventually, the only way this is really going to go away is to persuade people and have people be affected the kind of the way that you were when, when you looked at that 15-week-old baby. That's right. And, you know, and, and is it ever convenient to have a baby? I'm not sure that it is, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's well worth it. And, you know, we, we want to be there to support people, and we do need to change minds. And I know this may be a very simple uh, explanation, but I remember, I'm old enough to remember that I was really mad about having to wear a seatbelt. And back when I was young, smoking was cool. And we actually did change the minds of people. You get in the car and you put your seatbelt on. You don't smoke cigarettes, you know. So you can change people's minds, but you have got to be there to support them. And like I said, we have a lot of work to do. And, and my intention is to make sure that work gets done. Mm. Uh, Representative, one more for you. Uh, have you... Have you stopped and thought about your position in history here? I mean, this is uh, the, the type of day that could change the lives of millions and millions of people that, you know, people that would not live, may live now because of the work you've done and, you know, so many others in the pro-life movement. But really, you're a central figure here. Have you stopped to consider that? It's been uh, hard. Uh, I, I I don't want to call myself humble, but it's been hard to imagine. But I, I got a letter from a lady in Texas that when the heartbeat law uh, came into effect there, she thanked me for starting this. And she said, because I could not get an abortion in Texas, I've kept my baby. And I'm so glad I did. And, you know, I would love to get some more letters like that because that one made my day. And and hopefully millions of other babies will live because I filed this law in Mississippi. Mm. Representative Becky Curry from Mississippi. She wrote the law that led to the Supreme Court decision today overturning Roe versus Wade. What a historic day and a central figure in the middle of that history. 
thank you so much for the work you've done. And I, I can't stress to you how incredible uh, it is to see to see this happen today. I, I really am blown away. I never thought I'd see the day. I didn't think we would see the day either. But thank you so much. Thank you. Back in a second. Today is a momentous day, and you should take a minute and be happy about it. Celebrate a little bit. Recognize that good things can actually happen. Take a moment. Think about how wonderful this is. And then realize it's really just step one of a long-term process to help persuade others and win people over to look at this practice as what it is, a, a, a terrible human tragedy that has extended 50 years now and it still goes on around the world and will continue to go on in this country. And think about that effort to persuade others when you talk to others about this this weekend. Yeah, you can celebrate with your friends who agree with you, but if you talk to someone who you disagree with, think about how you're speaking to them because this is a long-term process and it's just begun.